Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series, Is This Going Anywhere? We're thinking about where scripture is going, but also where our lives are going, because the two are interlinked. And sometimes we look at scripture and think, is the plot of scripture going anywhere? But I think the thing that often keeps us up at night, the thing that haunts us throughout our days is, is my life going anywhere? Is there a meaning to it? As time passes, is there any value to it? Now, last week, as we began this series, we talked about how things were good in the beginning, and it's wonderful to think about that. But what we want to know is, will it ever be good again? Is there any indication of that? And we're going to be looking at how Scripture starts off at the very beginning, reminding us that God's goodness is a goodness that goes with us. And so as we begin tonight, I'd just like to encourage you, if you know anyone who's struggling with this question, trying to figure out, is my life going anywhere? Does God care? Is there ever going to be any goodness ahead for me? Please consider sharing this, inviting someone to watch, maybe even watch live right now so that you could be chatting with them in the chat and, and helping to think through these things together. It's so good when we do this as a community. And thank you for helping to get that word out. Well, let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll dig right in. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with questions. We come wondering, is my life going anywhere? Are the lives of my loved ones going anywhere? Is the history of the world really going anywhere? Or are we just in a meaningless cycle of, of ups and downs, good moments and bad? Lord, as we look to you and to your goodness, would you help us to see how that goodness and that mercy and that love that you have for us applies to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's helpful to know that something was good. And, that, and that, again, that's where we started last week. It's helpful to know that things can be good. But if something's broken, does it really make us happy to know it was good? I was thinking about that this week in preparing for this message, and I, I was reminded of a little planter I used to have on my metal file cabinet in my office. And I really liked it. It had a little air plant in it, and it was this pretty little blue one. It had a, a magnet, so I could just put it on there. And, and well, you can see what happened to it. It's broken. I, I love this little guy, though, because it just added a little color to the office, and I, I'd go in on Monday morning, and I'd water my my little air plant each week and and then one week I came in and I closed the door and the planter fell on the floor and I had these broken pieces and here's what I do when when I end up with broken pieces to something I usually start doing exactly what I'm doing right now I start trying to see well let's see how does this go back together I can put that piece there um, where's this piece go Maybe up here. I start to try to figure out, well, could I somehow put these pieces back together and then glue it all up and somehow have it be good again? And sometimes the answer is yes. A lot of times, though, the answer is, well, it's not going to be easy and it may not work at all because there's some pieces that just broke into two smaller pieces and so on. We, we may, may have that experience, say, taking out some decorations for different seasons around our home and one comes out and it's broken or... or I'm sure you've had that experience with something that you thought was good. And it doesn't matter if you remember how it was good. That doesn't necessarily reassure you when it's just pieces that are falling all over the place. We know 
from last week that the earth was good, that God's creation was good. But will it be good again? Or are we just looking at some shards that we kind of try to make do with and we, we try to piece some parts of it back together for our own lives and yet it keeps falling apart, keeps just crumbling more and more. And we find that any glue we have doesn't really hold it together. We know that things are broken, but where do we go from there? And the good news is that because God is a loving God, he actually cares about us. We, we start at the beginning of this story, right where everything blows up, and we find that God immediately starts to reassure us that he's not going to leave it broken. Now, I may not want to leave things broken. I don't want to leave this broken. But it remains broken. It's been broken for years now. This sits in a planter because I can't quite bear to get rid of it. But it remains broken. How's that different? Well, Scripture is going to assure us that God has the power to fix things. That it won't stay broken because he can fix it and he will. And so as we start tonight, we're going to turn to the story of Noah. And that's just a little bit into Genesis chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. These chapters are exploring the story of someone who is brought into this picture of God's people and his his working towards having a people who is going to come into a very, very broken world. So broken, in fact, as it says in Genesis 6.17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God looks at the earth and he sees a very broken earth. And, and we've seen that build up in the, in the chapters up to the time that Noah comes onto the scene. We know it's broken and it becomes so broken. God says, I'm going to wipe it out. But he doesn't mean completely. And that, that's the notable thing. And that shows us the hope that we have in, in our God. Yes, he's going to, to eliminate a lot of that brokenness. He's going to take the broom out and start sweeping up the shards of glass that are laying on the floor. But he's not going to stop there. He's not going to just wipe everything off and throw it in the trash can. And that's what we see if we pick up right there where we were. Just go one more verse. Verse 18, he's saying to Noah this promise that speaks to God's determination to make things right. God goes on, I will establish my covenant with you And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. So God says, things are really broken. I'm going to reset, but I'm not going to give up. That's a notable difference. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it's going to take something dramatic, but God's going to keep on. And so the first thing that we see is that while God could, he he has unlimited power, and it's not as if he's limited by resource. He spent all his money on building the earth the first time, and he has to make do with it. That's not the case. So he could just wipe it out, and yet we see a picture throughout scripture of God's restraint. That that when we as human beings mess up, God, yes, he could in his righteous anger wipe us out, cut us off, take away all of his promises, and yet instead he shows his care and his compassion. 
And so even in the story in which he's dramatically judging the earth, he preserves Noah and his family and animals and, and is going to take that remnant and use it to bring his creation back into focus somewhat. Not all the way. This is a picture of restraint, not full restoration yet. But he's not going to let it all just get swept into the trash can. We turn to chapter 8 of Genesis. Excuse me. We see in verse 21 that Noah, after the, the floodwaters go down, he offers a sacrifice and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So we see some restraint initially in the story of Noah. God is going to preserve a remnant. And we see that over and over again in scripture, this idea of a remnant and, and how God takes a part of his creation and uses it to enable a continued work in a broken creation. But now he goes a step further. He says, even though there's going to be this remnant and this remnant's going to get messed up and then I'm going to form a people and that people's going to get messed up and I'm going to keep having to, to work with them and restore them over and over and over again. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not even going to go as far as I did before and flood the earth again. I'm not going to wipe out most everything again for as long as the earth continues. In other words, until what we'd now say is the return of Christ and, and the end of our present age. Until that time, God is going to let things keep rolling along. And we might say, well, but why does God let everything roll along? It's so broken. It'd be nice if he'd just come and, and wipe out everything bad. But, but as we look at scripture and we're reminded of our own faults, we ought to be reminded that we should be part of what's wiped out, that we should be part of that which God rejects, and yet he doesn't. And so every day when we, when we see those around us who are, are giving us a hard time, who are, are, seem to be causing trouble, that, who don't seem to get it, Instead of seeing them as a, a, a thorn to us, a, a problem for us, what we should see is a reminder of God's restraint. It's a mercy to us. As he allows them to continue, so too he allows us to continue. And God isn't going to just sort of say that just lightly to Noah, and of course for all of us who come after Noah. But he says it in such a way as he makes a covenant. He makes a very strong promise, an unbreakable promise that he won't wipe all of us out, or most of us out, during this age. Take a look. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. It says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that... Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
So we have in that initial promise in chapter 8 that God says, okay, I'm not going to destroy the whole earth with a flood again. And he acknowledges that despite his promise here, it's not because man has reformed, human beings have reformed, it's because he's simply choosing not to. Because he says the intention of every heart is towards evil. And now here he even amplifies it further in chapter 9 because he makes that same promise, but he says, I'm going to make a covenant to do this, and I'm going to give you a sign of that covenant, the rainbow, that every time you see it, you're reminded, and I'm reminded, God doesn't really need to be reminded, but he's speaking in human form here. He's speaking in a way we can understand. But there's this symbol here that this symbolizes the fact that, yes, I used water to wipe out the earth, but this beautiful thing that's formed by water is going to remind everyone that I'm withholding my anger. Even though I would be right to judge the earth even more extremely than I did, I had to wipe out everything, not to have an ark, not to put all of bit, all these bits of creation onto the ark so that creation as it's known right now could continue. While I'd be justified to do that, I won't. It's notable that as he makes this promise, he uses, as commentators have noted, the word my over and over again. These are his things, his covenant, his bow, his restraint. Think about that for a moment. He doesn't say to Noah, if you do enough good things, I will restrain from destroying the earth, or I'll restrain from destroying all the earth but you. He doesn't make a deal with Noah to allow a certain part of humanity to continue. No, what he says is that everyone's going to benefit from this, and I'm going to do it simply because I'm going to do it. There's no condition on it. There's no demand on it. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't ultimately judge. It doesn't mean that there won't ultimately be separation from God for all eternity for those who choose not to have relationship to him. It's, it's not erasing the idea that we need to follow Jesus. That It's urgent that we respond to the gospel. It's not erasing any of that. But what it's saying is that he's going to allow creation to continue and give us the mercy the, the, of getting to live our lives on this earth with the opportunity to seek him, to hold on to his promises and experience even more. Because if he just swept us into the trash can and got rid of us, we couldn't have any kind of relationship with him. We couldn't experience eternal life, but we couldn't even experience this life. And he says, I'm going to give you this life and then call you to experience eternal life with me. He wants us to understand that he is willing to do this on his own. It's, it's not conditional on us in any way. We don't make promises like that very often, do we? Usually when we make a promise, we make a promise with a condition. We expect something to come back our direction. Something to say, okay, I'm going to do this for you, but you need to do something for me. But God takes it, takes the full responsibility for himself. It's like if you go on some kind of really wild amusement park ride or something and you have to sign a waiver saying you're not going to hold the the theme park accountable for the consequences. Or, or I was reading about a fascinating pizza shop that has this pizza that's supposed to be one of the hottest pizzas in the world. It's entitled The Fiery Death with Hate Sausage. And, and so it has ghost peppers on it. It has um, a scorpion pepper on it. And then the sausage is made with cayenne pepper laced uh, seasoning so that every bite of it is supposed to be well, let me just read what one reporter said describing this pizza. 
She wrote, so dig in, right? Yeah, right. One bite into this pizza slice itself is molten death. You might even start to take a second bite, but halfway through that decision, you realize that the heat from the first wave is still building. Your mouth is on fire. And then your stomach is on fire, too. You'd think all the stomach acid would somehow destroy the searing power, but it doesn't. It feels like the pizza is burning a hole through your stomach lining in an effort to escape. Now, with a pizza like that, there's a waiver you have to sign. Before you can get a slice of this pizza sold by the slice, and they only recommend at most you eat two slices, I, I, I guess they're not even sure what would happen to you if you ate more than that, you have to sign what they call the idiot waiver, saying that you're willing to subject yourself to the pain that is coming as you eat this pizza. And so people do. They, they sign it. They say, I'm going to take on this responsibility. I'm not going to hold the pizza joint responsible if I have to end up in the hospital because I've just burnt a hole in my stomach. People do it. And I don't know if anyone listening tonight's done that. I, I know different places have waivers like this, but, but what you're saying is I'm responsible for this. I'm not going to hold the other party responsible. Well, think how much more extreme it is for God. God who could wipe out everything, create a brand new world, make everything exactly how it ought to be, and, and not allow sin into the world. He could, whatever reason he's allowed the world to be as it is, he could make it however he wants. But he says, I'm going to restrain myself, not because I have to, not because I have limited resources, but simply because that's who I am. I am a loving and faithful God who will restrain myself. And I'll take on the consequences. Consequences far, far worse than eating a fiery slice of pizza and feeling like your stomach is being burnt. We, we know what, what comes, what will come, ultimately. And we'll get there in a moment, but... But first, let's just stop for a moment. God doesn't explain exactly what he's going to do to Noah. But he says this. I'm going to take responsibility. My covenant. My rainbow. My restraint. So that you and the rest of humanity can continue. I'm not going to, to come after you and decide to just flood again because you go back to doing what humans do in their broken, fallen, sinful state. I'm going to restrain and in that, we see just right there, before anything else happens, we don't, see, we don't see all the pieces put back together. They're still broken. What do we see? God's not saying, well, if you take a bite of the fiery pizza, I'll take a bite as well. He says, I'm taking it all. I'm taking all the pain. I'm taking all the consequences to enable this world to continue. Because I love this world. I'm not going to wipe it out. And so as we live, as we breathe, as we see our, our, our best friends and we see our worst enemies on this earth, what do we see in every single case? We see a picture of God's mercy that should lead us to thanksgiving. To say, thank you, God, for, for not doing what you should do. For not looking at me and looking at everyone else and saying, you fall so short of what I've called you to be and to do. I'm just done. We're closing up shop and putting you in the trash. We don't have that patience with, with other people. We don't have that patience with other things. So often we, we have very little or no patience when people mess up towards us. And yet the holy God of the universe has that patience with us. And he provides for us in this world. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew 5.45. Speaking of the, the calling we have to actually be a part of God's family, he says, 
that God's provision is so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus says, that light that you're enjoying, that light that your friends are enjoying, that light that your enemies are enjoying, God provides it. He, he's made the universe work the way it is so that we have that light. And he allows both the good and the bad to enjoy it. He restrains from immediate judgment. He allows us to enjoy a functioning world. And so too with rain. Imagine a world without rain. We we hear about people in the western United States struggling with drought. We don't thankfully struggle nearly so much here in the Midwest. But but imagine a world where you couldn't just depend on water. And anywhere in the United States we we have enough water that people aren't dying of thirst. Some parts of the world people are actually dying of thirst they they need water and it's just dry and you have these incredibly destructive droughts and and so we get a taste there of what it would be like if god took away the rain but jesus says god provides it he allows plants to grow and thrive in the rain he allows us to have things to drink why does he do that he doesn't do it because some people are righteous and so then he he pours out his rain upon them. He doesn't have the sun rise only for those who are good. He, he provides it for all of us because he's restraining to enable us to experience this world. But what if we stopped there? What if we stopped there and we said, well, God managed to put some of these pieces back together and he didn't throw the, the broken pieces away. He kept them. He puts them on a shelf like I've done with my little broken planter. Well, I guess that's better than nothing, but that doesn't really still make us feel all that good about knowing that at one point in the past, creation was good. It feels sort of like if, if we think about the Korean Peninsula, our vice president just visited there a few days ago and it went to the demilitarized zone. It sort of fascinates me thinking about this DMZ between North Korea and South Korea, this place that, that is constantly tense. You have armies lined up on both sides ready to attack. You have missiles aimed from one country to the other, and it's been that way for decades now. There's a sense in which there's a tense peace. No one is actively shooting at the other at the moment. But you're constantly on the brink. You can't say it's real peace. That peninsula is divided, and, and I really can't even imagine what it would be like to live in South Korea wondering if, if North Korea is going to shoot a missile over and blow it up. It's a peace, but it's not a satisfying peace. The peninsula is broken, and even for those who are on a piece of the peninsula that has freedom, there's still that constant threat. And sometimes it can feel that way in the world. Sure, okay, God's allowing us to continue, but we're kind of in a demilitarized zone at best. It's still very broken. We don't see an end to this. But even before Noah came, God went further. He said, I'm going to show that restraint to you, Noah, and to your successive generations. But all the way back in Genesis 3, when, when God's bringing the judgment for the first sin, he gives a promise. And we see that in Genesis 3.15. He says to the serpent that tempted Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, the, the judgment's coming, but even as we look at the instigator of the, that first sin, the serpent, which we learn later on in scripture is Satan himself, even as we look at, at the one who is seeking to destroy and the humans who have followed that one into that destruction. 
God is already promising that he's going to do something. He's not going to leave it there. That that serpent will be crushed. But where is that serpent going to be crushed by? It's not by a new creation, God wiping out humanity as it exists right now and starting over. It's not that. He's not going to say, well, next time I'm going to get you, Satan. No, he says, that woman that you just tempted to sin, the, the one who, who's busy blaming you and not accepting that she just broke my commands, and, and that man who who also broke my commands and is busy blaming her, this whole mess, I'm going to take those human beings as broken as they are, and, and someday one of their descendants is going to crush your head. That's going to provide a solution. I don't know about you, once again, but is that the way that you think? It's not the way I think. Do you, if someone wrongs you, does something wrong, and you're just busy addressing that mess they've made, it's the first thing that you want to do to say, and I'm going to fix this for you. Well, Maybe occasionally we have that, that glimmer of, of God's love in us, and we say, our first thought is someone breaks something that's of value to us, and we say, don't worry, I'll fix it. But a lot of times we kind of want to let it linger for a little bit. And if we don't let it linger out, is it's coming out of our mouths towards them or our actions towards that person who's wronged us. It, it certainly sits in our heart and it kind of simmers and we're not happy. And and the more severe the problem is, the more likely that's to be the case. But God takes this incredibly severe situation, breaking the whole creation, and he offers a promise of a solution, a complete solution, not just the demilitarized restraint. I'm not going to wipe out all of creation that he gives to Noah, but something more. Paul talks in Romans 16 about this. Verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So the God of peace, the God who who restrains from destruction, Paul says, guess what? We're seeing that solution. That, that, That grace that comes from Jesus, that's the solution. The seed that was promised, the descendant of Eve that was promised, we have that promise being fulfilled in Jesus. It's, it's no coincidence that Paul uses the word crush there, thinking back to Genesis 3. He says the God of peace, the one who's restrained, is offering something far greater than mere restraint. First Thessalonians 5. Take a look at verse 23. Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The God of peace isn't going to leave the pieces broken. He's going to patch us back together. And not like we do. If I, even if I could get all these pieces to go back together, you'd still know that this was broken. You'd still see the cracks and it'd still have some missing bits. That's going to provide full restoration. When we think about the goodness of last week, of, of creation as it was, It's also a creation as it will be. And we'll be getting more into that in these coming weeks. But but that's where we need to keep our eyes. That that God is going to make things right. He wants us to know as we look at, at the provision that he's providing, that that's provision from a loving God who is with us. We get lots of reminders of, of, from people in this world of, of what they're providing for us. Always strikes me when I'm at the gas station filling up my car and, I look on the gas pump and there's, you know, those little inspection stickers always stuck on the gas pump. A lot of times, it, I guess I'm OCD enough, I look at it and they're not quite straight. And it's sort of, can't you put the sticker on top of the other sticker straight? But they never do. It always looks a little messy. But then I'll be sitting there and you're watching the, the gas pump tick up and up and up. And 
you just start to read the stuff on the pump and inevitably those little inspection stickers have a few things on them they have the date of the inspection or when it's due next but they also have the current governor of the state so that you know that this governor through his administration has provided the inspection of this gas pump to keep you safe the governor wants to do that because he wants you to know who he is so presumably you'll vote for him again wow look at this governor he kept me safe while i was putting gas in my car not sure anyone actually ever has that thought but but we see politicians doing that all the time, trying to take the credit in, in the most menial things and, and things that really don't have a whole lot to do with them. I, I don't think generally, as far as I know, that the governor has a lot of hands-on uh, involvement in making sure our gas pumps are inspected. But nonetheless, you have that sticker. I have seen that in different states with different parties. It's just whatever politician happens to be in control and can take credit for it. Well, God wants us to know that he's providing for us, but... But here's the difference. He really is providing for us. He really is providing safety. He is inspecting this world and holding back the negative consequences, keeping the pump from blowing up so that we can live and we can know him. We, we live our lives wanting to know that there can be peace out there, that we can somehow experience peace and restoration. And God says, I'm going to restrain my judgment so you can experience me. But in that, I'm going to promise you something far greater, that genuine peace that you yearn for. Because he is our God of peace. And as Paul said to the Thessalonians, that as he gives that benediction to them, and he, he wishes for them to experience the fullness of God's sanctification. And as we see throughout the New Testament, that's what comes to, to those who believe in Jesus. We're reminded that as we trust in Jesus, we go from experiencing God's restraint in this present age to experiencing God's lasting peace in all time to come. May you experience that peace tonight. Whatever you might be facing, let's come before our God and ask him to help us to fully experience that peace. Would you pray with me? Father, it, it's hard. We, we want to trust, and yet so often we struggle. I'd imagine every single person listening tonight has some place where he or she lacks peace. But would you let us place those things before you? And would you remind us that you are the God who not only restrains your anger for a time, but for all who trust in Jesus, you provide lasting peace. You, you adopt us as sons and daughters, just as our Savior Jesus taught us. That, that you took on the, the consequences. You signed the waiver. It didn't make any sense, and yet you did because you love us. And so how much more that you, you take on the consequences of our sins and, and indeed our, our Savior, your Son, Jesus, paid the full penalty, death, for us. Lord, may each of us look to that promise of what you have done and what you will do and experience your peace tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do hope this was an encouragement to you and that you'll consider giving this, this video a like or a share so that maybe someone else can be encouraged by it. We all need to experience God's peace, and we need that peace in, in every day. We never know when this age will end, so let's help get the word out so that people aren't just experiencing God's restraint, but his peace. Then let's celebrate it. And, and one way we're going to celebrate it over the, the coming weeks, of October 14th, 
is Faithtoberfest. And, and I hope that you will come if you are online and, and can't come in person. Please join us. We'll have a full live stream of that night. If you are available to come in person, please RSVP as well and come in person. We'll have delicious food and the same live music and experience that will be on the live stream, except we'll be able to actually eat during it because we can't live stream hot dogs. So please do join us either way. It'll be a wonderful night celebrating God's goodness. And maybe invite someone who would enjoy the music but doesn't really feel comfortable yet coming to church. Invite them to have a taste of God's peace so they experience that peace. Well, next week we're going to continue with how God moves us from from brokenness to restraint to peace as we see him starting to assemble his people and offering further promises in the life of Abraham. So please do join me at 7 p.m. next Monday night for that. Also, as always, we meet on Sunday nights and we're looking at how we are those called to bring God's kingdom, which includes his peace, into the world right now. We'll be doing that once again in person and online at 5.30 on Sunday evening. If you have any prayers or questions, I always love hearing from you. You can leave a comment in the comments below or shoot an email to the email address on screen. I'd love to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. and I can't wait to join you at some of these events.